If you're turning with me in your Bibles today, we're going to be in Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verse 19. And today, we're gonna, it's going to be a little bit different than normal, the way I would normally preach a message, um, in the fact that we're just going to... I'm going to talk a lot about one little story. And it's just a couple of verses, but I'm going to give you a, a couple of different translations, and we're going to look at some different meanings of some words in this one story. And I've even got a video clip of the story that we're talking about because I feel like God's been speaking some stuff to me through this story that we're going to look at, and I really want you to get it. I want you to really understand what was going on at this time and with this person. So we're going to just really focus on this one story. But today I want to talk to you about your sickness. I want to talk to you about your sickness. Look at somebody, the sickest person around you, and tell them you're sick. Jesus said, I came for the sick, not the healthy. That's what we're going to read that here in just a minute. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about what Jesus meant because you could take that wrong. But Jesus said, I came for the sick, not the healthy. And so if I asked any of you, did Jesus come for you? You'd be like, yeah. Okay, then you're sick. And the reality is that we're all sick. We all have different areas and parts of our life. And, and we were all dead in sins. And sin is sick. Sin is death. The fruit of sin is death. So we all have some sickness. Jesus said, I came for the sick, not the healthy. So what does it mean to be sick? <coughs> you cough. that. <coughs> What does it mean to be sick? I want to think about that for a minute. And what is Jesus' remedy? You know, if you won't admit that you have a problem, then you probably won't find healing. Right? Like if you're sick or you got a problem in your body and you won't admit that it's a problem, then it's very hard to get help for that problem that you won't admit is there. And that can be in any area right if you're having some you're having marriage problems but you're not willing to admit that you're having marriage problems and you're not willing to seek counsel or you're not willing to get help with that or even admit that it's a problem then it's very hard to fix those problems that you're not willing to admit are there so that's the first thing is being willing to admit if you're sick you got to be willing to admit it and we're about to see that's kind of what that's what Jesus is talking about we have to be willing to admit it. So what does it mean to be sick? You're hurting. You're uncomfortable. Something's not functioning properly. The definition, there, there's a lot of different definitions if you look up the word um, for our English word sick. The definition is affected by physical or mental illness. Well, that's everybody in the room. have a physical ailment yep <laughs> no I'm kidding it probably is pretty much all of us you know what the second one is 
intensely annoyed with or bored by someone or something as a result of having had too much of them. I'm sick of them. I am sick of her. I am sick of Dusty's preaching. It's when you've had too much and you're just sick of it. Huh. Third one. (laughs) Having something unpleasant such as death, illness, or misfortune as its subject and dealing with it in an offensive way. It's where we say you have a sick sense of humor. Like you shouldn't be laughing about that. It's a tragedy. It was something bad. But you're sick, so you think it's funny. Last one. A person having abnormal or unnatural tendencies perverted. We're all sick. Like I said a minute ago, sin is sick. Sin brings death. So, what is Jesus' remedy for sickness? For the answer today, we're going to look at Matthew. Now, you guys know Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples. Um, You probably recognize Matthew's like one of the most famous disciples. If you ask anybody... um, to name the disciples, most people spit out Matthew pretty quick. And Matthew wasn't even like one of Jesus' top three, his favorites, you know, that got to go up on the mountain with him and all the little special stuff. But the main reason that Matthew is so famous is because his book is right here, the first one in the New Testament, Matthew. And of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew's the first one. He got to be the first one for a reason. Because Matthew was a Jewish man writing to a Jewish audience to convince them that Jesus was the Messiah. And so Matthew got the first of the four Gospels. Matthew. But there are some other things about Matthew that I want to look at today and we need to talk about. Yeah, he was one of Jesus' disciples. Yeah, he was the writer of the first of the four Gospels. Like I said, he was a Jewish man, but he was also a tax collector. Matthew was a tax collector, so he was hated. He was despised. Tax collectors back then were not good people. Every one of them were crooked. Every one of them were shady. That means he was a Jewish man that worked for the Roman government. Taxing the Jews to not only support Caesar and Rome and Caesar who claimed to be God and a son of Zeus, the son of God. And so the Jews considered it blasphemy to even work for them, to serve them, which is what he was doing. In fact, the Jewish rabbis would teach that publicans... That's what he was, a publican. That means a tax collector, a Jewish man that's become a tax collector for Rome. That publicans could not be forgiven. No matter what sacrifices you made, no matter what you did, you you weren't even allowed to come to church. The tax collectors weren't allowed in the synagogue. They were cut off, outcast, 
bad, bad, bad people. And it's crazy because we're given in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all tell us the story of what happened, and they're all tell us the same thing. And when they tell us that, I'm getting ahead of myself. Hold up. We'll go to that in a minute. So he was a tax collector. He was hated. But he made really good money. He had a place. He had protection. He had a position. He had power. These tax collectors, there were only two kinds of tax collectors back then. And one of them, um, I don't know how to say the names because they're Greek names and they're really hard to say. But there were two different kinds of tax collectors. One of them wasn't so hated because it was just a set thing that they charged. And it was 10% off of your harvest you had to give to the local government ruling. All right, you had to give 5% of your fruit and 1% of the, all the money that you earned in that year. But it was a set thing, and they were okay with that. Like, they could, that was a pill they could swallow. Now, the kind of tax collector that Matthew was here, there was no set thing. He had law backing him and a centurion guard with him at all times that would back him up, and he could tax you on anything. To where he'd just go set up a booth and, you know, your average blue-collar guy's coming by with his one donkey trying to make a living at the farmer's market. And he could say, whoop, donkey tax. And by law, you had to pay him or he could take your donkey. And so there are all kinds of stories about stuff that happened back then. He would, they would do this with, like, you'd be coming along with a donkey and you'd be like, I don't have the money to pay donkey tax. I, I brought my one donkey into town to try to make money at the farmer's market. And so the tax collector would then take your young, strong donkey and give you an old, weak donkey and say, the difference in the two, that's your taxes. Go ahead. They would do things like that every day, all day. And line their pockets in the meantime. You can see why they were hated. So, that's him. But he got to be a disciple. He got to write one of the books in the New Testament and tell us about the life of Jesus. Yeah. Matthew writes down one of Jesus' teachings in Matthew 6, 19. That's the first one we want to look at. So Matthew, this guy we've been talking about, this is what he writes down. Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Remember, this is coming from a man that had lots of money. He had lots of stuff. We're about to see he owned a house. He had all kind of stuff, all the money he would want, anything he would want. He had power, he had protection, he had position. And it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to make him happy. I love how he writes down about himself 
how Jesus changed his life. Like he's one of the ones that gives us an account of what Jesus did to him. And that's the really what we're going to look at is Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. And Matthew's writing this, but he writes it in third person. He's writing about what happened to him. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. Some of your translations might say the the tax collector's booth or different things there. That's what that means. He was sitting in the tax collector's booth. That's our major clue that he was the second kind of tax collector I told you about. The other kind didn't have booths. So he was just sitting there taxing people that would walk by. And he said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house. Wait, what house? Jesus didn't have a house. So Luke, I told you Matthew, Mark, and Luke all wrote about this same story. So Luke gives us some more information on the house that they were sitting in in Luke 5, 28. 28 and 29 and he left all rose up and he followed him and Levi um, Luke and Mark both tell the same story but they both call him Levi and Matthew called himself Matthew so that the the breakdown there is Matthew being a tax collector would have been required to be able to speak Hebrew so that he could speak to the Jews And he would also have to be fluent in Greek so that he could speak to all the Romans. You would have to know at least those two languages and possibly others. But Levi was his Hebrew name. The Hebrews would have called him Levi. And Matthew would have been his Greek name, what the the Roman soldiers and stuff would have called him Matthew. So so they they called him Levi because all the Jews would know him as Levi, that piece of junk. A little scumbag that stole my donkey, Levi. And then Matthew would have been his Greek name. So that's why he's calling him Levi here. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans. Remember I told you what publicans is. It's other Jewish guys that are tax collectors. The bad kind of tax collectors. They're crooks, they're thieves, they're dirty, and they're rich. So this is all his buddies, and all his buddies were like him. They were all losers. They were all cheaters. They were all liars. They were all traitors. There was a great company of publicans and others that sat down with him. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? Okay, go back. I just wanted you to know what house they were in. I'm going to finish the story and finish the story back in Matthew. So they were in Matthew's house. Jesus called him, said, Come follow me. He got up, he followed after Jesus, and then they went to Matthew's house that night and had a party. He fed Jesus and all his new buddies, the disciples, and they were like, Invite everybody else you know. And Matthew's like, 
I don't know any good people. <laughs> All my friends are idiots. <laughs> and Jesus is like, I know, bring them. It's cool. There's a reason I called you. And like, but Peter's like, really? It's bad enough we got to hang out with one of them. Now we got to be in a whole house full of them. And Jesus is like, shh, we're getting fed. <laughs> so they show up and the house is full of all Matthew's friends that are like bad people. As if everybody's not got some sickness. But they're labeled by the religious community as bad people. Can we say it that way? Jesus sat at meat in the house. And behold, many publicans and sinners came and they sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, wait, who invited the Pharisees? How'd they get invited to this party? They sure weren't Matthew's friends. They've sure never been to his house before because to them, he was a horrible person. They wouldn't even go near him. They wouldn't eat with him, drink with nothing. They wouldn't be around him. So it sure wasn't Matthew's friends. They sure aren't Jesus and his disciples' buddies. But there they are, trying to find a problem, trying to find something going on. So here they are showing up. The Pharisees saw it because they're just following them around. And they said unto Jesus, Hey, why are you hanging out with these people? Hey, I thought these people were unforgivable. These are bad people. And then Jesus got to explain to them, No, I came for everybody. That's not unforgivable. Oh, no, wait. I read that wrong. They didn't say it to Jesus. Be careful of this religious spirit, this critical spirit that will have you not go to the head, but you will go to disciples or other people that didn't make the decision and ask, why did Pastor Dusty let him do that? Doesn't he know that's a bad person? That's what they did. They went to the disciples. They didn't even go to Jesus. They went to the disciples and said, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? Why is Jesus doing this? Why didn't they just ask Jesus? Who are these publicans and sinners? It's Matthew's friends. These are the ones that have been there. They're his friends and his buddies. How's that make him feel? But when Jesus heard that, Jesus overheard them. Jesus overheard what they were saying. And when he heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician. You're perfect. You don't need any help. What Jesus was saying is, I can't help people that don't think they need help. And neither can you. Jesus said, I'm, I'm looking for people that know they're sick. For people that know they need help. Why? Because they'll come to me. They're willing to move and grow and obey and listen and follow because they know they need help that they're not perfect and they don't have it all together. So 
I didn't come for the people that are perfect and have it all together. I came for the ones that know they need help. He said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. All right, we're going to come back to verse 13 in just a minute. But I really want to point, I really want to paint a picture of what happened here. Of what all was said and, and what happened. The Message Bible words, what we just read, it says it like this. Later, when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. When the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit. And they lit into Jesus' followers. What kind of example is this from your teacher? Acting cozy with crooks and riffraff. Can you play that video? You see the Parthian foot races last night? Darius ran like a gazelle. Jews don't go to foot races. Your old friend Simon himself used to run the wagering tables. We're not friends. Next. Okay, fine. So you did not go to the races. You stay home? I went to see my mother. Ugh. That would put me out, too. She asked when you're going to give her grandchildren? She didn't ask. I thought your parents don't speak to you. I had questions I couldn't ask anyone else. A mother of a son with talent like yours should be proud. She's ashamed that I could use the talent that God gave me against God. Next. You're good at something. You found a way to make a living doing it. It's that simple. Must be nice to live in a world so simply ordered. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy's done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to you. What are you doing? Where do you think you're going, guys? Let me go. 
you've lost your mind. You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. This is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? Grab it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. I love that clip. And how, and when you see how upset Peter was getting. But you don't know who he is. He can't go with us. He can't. And, and Jesus said, get used to it. <laughs> get used to it, man. So I came to call everybody to follow me. Think about that day when Jesus got up with the boys, with the disciples, and like, hmm, what are we going to do today? Where are we going? He's like, just follow me. I need to add some more people to the crew. Oh, who are we getting? How about a carpenter so he could build us some comfortable seats when we're fishing? And Jesus is like, nah, I need a few more disciples. Let's see, I got a fisherman. I got a guy that can punch people in the mouth with the anger issues. I got a lazy guy we found under a tree. I got a real doubtful kind of negative dude. Let's go get a tax collector. Yeah. How's that sound? And the disciples are like, what? No, 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 no. A low-down, dirty, rotten, better-than-us tax collector with nice, fancy clothes? Well, I ain't hanging out with him. He can catch his own fish. Think about that. That day that, that they went walking by there. And I did a lot of research, like looking into Matthew and stuff, and most of the scholars agree that Matthew helped fund Jesus' ministry. Matthew was a very wealthy, rich man. And after that, you know, he never went back to tax collecting. That he took all of his goods and his wealth. And you wonder how Jesus did ministry for three years. He had to have people, very generous, very wealthy donors. And so it's believed that Matthew was one of the ones that paid their taxes. Paid Jesus and the disciples taxes and paid for meals and paid to give to the poor and all the different things through his money and through his wealth what Jesus we can't go get a, a tax collector and besides where are we going to find a tax collector I don't know any tax collectors Hey, James, John, you know any tax collectors? Nope. I would never hang out with a tax collector. 
Well, we don't know any from church because they're not allowed at church. They're not even allowed to come to the synagogue. None of them come to my small group. No tax collectors were at men's Bible study. So I don't even know any tax collectors. So how are we going to call one? How are we going to get one, Jesus? And Jesus is like, guys, you don't get it. He doesn't have to come to us. We're going to go to him. And I'm going to call to something that's already on the inside of him. You want to do it like me? We go to them. We don't wait on them to come to us. And I don't know about y'all, but if I'm Matthew, I would have had a lot of questions. Matthew, we got three different accounts of the story, and we just we watched that movie, which is pretty dang accurate with all three accounts, and it's Jesus calls him by name and says, simply, come follow me, and he came. First of all, Jesus showed up at work. That goes against a lot of things we think. Jesus met him at work. And then looked at him and said, come follow me. If Jesus showed up at my job, back when I was working at the mattress factory, if I was there working, trying to load a truck, and I'm working hard, and some dude walks up with all of his buddies walking through the parking lot, and he says, Dusty, follow me. I'm going to be like, okay, well, it's like two hours until my lunch break, and uh, I, I don't know who you are. So I got a lot of questions if I'm even going to consider this. Oh, wait, excuse me. That's probably not how he would have talked because I told you that Matthew was a really smart guy. To get that job, he had to be very good with numbers, very good with money. He had to know at least two languages and preferably more languages. He would have been very good at communicating in both of those languages. Uh, Matthew would have been a very smart guy, so he probably wouldn't have said it like me. Maybe it would have been more like, uh, uh, excuse me, sir. It seems like you have an evangelistic pursuit that seems strategically pointed at me. Perhaps at lunch, you can explain to me exactly what you are talking about, and we may be able to do some strategic planning for our future endeavors together. or however you would have said it. But I bet you would have had some questions. Like, oh, I don't know, who are you? Maybe, where are we going? Follow you to where? I, at least, I mean, some questions that nobody would even get mad at you for asking that question. Follow me, where? If we leave church and I go out there and get my truck, my truck's parked out back right now. If I go to back up and Levi's got his big truck right here blocking it and I roll down my window like, hey, get out of the way. And he says, follow me and then takes off. I'm not following him. I don't know where he's going. I already was planning on going somewhere else. I had other plans, other things to do. Like I, that, like, I don't even know where you're going. But something about this moment, he heard the voice and it called to something inside of him. 
He heard this voice, and in that moment, he had the faith to say, you know what? I'm not fulfilled. I'm not happy in what I'm doing. There must be more. So what the heck? I'm going to go for it. I'm going to get up and follow. So a grown man looks another grown man in the eyes at work and says, come, follow me. And he doesn't even ask questions. What does it take to follow Jesus? Sometimes it takes you looking foolish. Most of the time. It doesn't look like real smart from the outside looking in. In fact, a lot of people are going to say, hey, what are you doing? Did you see that soldier? You're going to regret this. What are you doing? You live better than any Jew. But he wasn't happy. He had money and stuff and a house and a position and protection and whatever he wanted. He had power, fame, but he wasn't happy. He was longing for something. So sometimes when you follow Jesus, you're going to look foolish. Well, why? Why have you decided to, to get up and go to that church and try to connect to that community every single weekend? To try to be a part of that. Why? That's stupid. Why would you do that? You, that's your one day to sleep in late and go fishing. It looks kind of foolish. Why, why have you decided to give that? Why would you give your money to that when you can barely pay your bills? Why, why would you hang out with him? He's an idiot. Why would you sacrifice to be in relationship with her? Why, why would you take some of your hard-earned money and use it to feed the hungry? Because a lot of times when we're following Jesus, it looks foolish to the people on the outside looking in. The word follow, it's a verb. It's go or come after a person or a thing proceeding ahead. You can't follow something that's not moving. Yeah, Jesus did that with all the disciples where he'd be like, come, follow me. And then he takes off. And you got like a few seconds to decide or talk yourself out of it. You got to like take off. Remember, we've talked about before, like purpose doesn't have a parking spot. You don't just sit around and wait. You got to get up and take some action. Like Jesus is constantly giving you calls. Hey, come follow me. Hey, come follow me. Hey, come follow me. And... Yes, if you miss this time, he's going to call you again. Like he'll keep on calling. But you'll miss this time. And you'll miss whatever time is in between now and the next call. It's to go or come after something that's moving forward. It's move or travel behind. So this word, the word to follow, 
it is to go, to move immediately, to get up, and at the same time to move or travel behind someone or something. That's what it means to follow. And we all call ourselves followers of Jesus. We're all called to follow Jesus. A lot of us don't. A lot of us do in some areas of our lives and don't in other areas of our lives. And we kind of pick and choose what's comfortable. Where's the comfortable area to follow? And We follow on Sunday morning during church service or we follow in this area, but not so much in this area. But what it means to follow is like, Zach, come here. Follow me? I can follow Zach without knowing where he's going. I have no idea if he's about to turn or go up on the stage or go over here because he needs time with Jesus. Or, yeah, <laughs> ah, ha, ha. <laughs> Guess what? As long as my eyes are on Zach, I can follow Zach. I don't need to know where we're going. I don't need to know the ultimate plan. I don't need to know if I'm getting a leg workout because we're going to climb up on the stage or whatever. So I can just follow him. But I also need to listen. Because at some point, things are going to get dark. Like now that he's walked me into the youth room and no lights are on, now I can no longer see Zach. Oh, he's eating candy. Wait, Zach, is that you? Okay. All right, we're done. We're done with this example here. <laughs> Good. But sometimes in life, things are going to get dark. Like sometimes... The lights are going to go out and you might not be able to see. But guess what? That's the beauty of being able to hear his voice. Because I can say, hey, uh, Zach, where'd you go? Right here eating candy out of the youth room. I'm like, oh, there you are. So I don't have to know the whole plan. I don't have to know the reasons why. In fact, I'm not going to know the whole plan, and God's not going to give me all the reasons why. Because that would take no faith, no trust, no, they're like, I would already know. What's the point of that? Who wouldn't do that? Here's the plan. Here's how it's all going to work out. Here's how I'm going to bless you if you do this and that. And, that. and then there's no faith, no trust, no. Of course I'd do that. But Jesus says, come follow me. Where to? Well, once you get to right here, you'll see where I walk next. And you follow me there. It's to follow. We watch and we listen. So, so the three things that, that Matthew did, I wrote down three things out of that story that we looked at. Um, and it just simply said, he arose. Like as soon as Jesus called him, he got up. He heard the call and he got up. He took action. It was just one time. He got up and did it. But the second thing he did, he followed him. That took a daily decision. 
I mean, you can hear the call one time. You can sit in here in church service today and hear God speaking through me to you saying, Hey, get up. Hey, it's time for you to forgive. Hey, it's time for you to give. Hey, it's time for you to follow me in this area or that area. You can hear the call. You can even get up and take that action step and say, Okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. But then to actually follow him is going to take a daily decision. Like every day you're going to have to decide over and over. That's what discipline is. It's a long, steady walk in the same direction. It's just one foot in front of the other. And I'm going to keep obeying over and over and over and believe that where he is leading me is good for me. Because I believe that he's a good father. The third thing he did... He used what he had to reach who he could. He used what he had to reach who he could. They threw a party at his house. Who you think paid for all the groceries for all those people? And then he turned around and funded Jesus' ministry and gave to the things that Jesus said to give to and paid taxes for Jesus and the boys all walking around like... He used what he had to reach who he could. And remember who they reached. All his buddies. Rejected people, despised people. It wasn't even who the disciples thought they were supposed to be reaching at that point. They thought the Messiah came for the Jews. Why are we after all these, this riffraff? He reached whoever he could. Side note, all of his friends were the same as him, and he wasn't happy. You just surround yourself with more people. I mean, it's tempting. I say misery loves misery. It's, it's tempting to just surround yourself with a bunch of people that agree with you. But it's real hard to find happiness. You need to follow. So Jesus said in verse 12, we'll wrap this up. Jesus said in verse 12, we already read it. But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. Remember, that's how I started this out, asking you if you're sick. And the word that Jesus used there was sick. It's the only time that Jesus uses this particular word. It's only used twice in the whole book of Matthew, this word is only used two times. Now, the word sick, our English word sick, it comes up 14 times just in the book of Matthew. And it's talking about how Jesus healed their sick or a man came to him sick with palsy or all this. 14 times the word, our English word sick appears. But if you look it up, the Greek word that Jesus used here, this is the only time Jesus used it. And it was only used one other time, and it's when Matthew used it. Um, it was in Matthew 4, 24. And it was when Matthew was writing down what all Jesus was doing. And Jesus was healing the sick. So Matthew used this word there. But then Jesus uses it here in 12. And it's kind of unique because... It's translated sick in English, but it's actually two Greek words were used there. 
it was two different words were used and then it just kind of got translated like we'll just kind of bunch those two together and we'll just put sick because it's too much so the two words that go together the first word is I'll try and pronounce it I, I would say echo and that's probably not how you pronounce it it's a Greek word but here's what it means to have to hold to keep sound like somebody's getting married to be to hath having hast with child enjoy fear or following that's the first word that was translated sick have hold with child fear following the second word that's bunched together there is kekos which is badly wrongly terribly sick evil amiss diseased grievously miserably now if we put those two together and think about what Jesus was saying I didn't come for the healthy I came for the sick the ones that are having that are holding on to evil onto the wrong the ones that are following their miserable existence the the ones that are following wrongly the ones that are following evil and his remedy is come follow me I come and, and follow me that's what I came to say is you get to choose what you follow you're going to follow something you're chasing after things. You're, you're worshiping things. You're following things. And you choose what it is that you follow. You can choose to follow money from now on. The rest of your life, you can follow money. Well, that ain't me. I ain't got no money. There's some broke people who've been following money their whole life too. You choose what you follow. You can follow fear. I know a lot of people that follow fear. And it leads you to some scary places. You can follow hurt. You can follow your offenses. All right, we all get offended. And if we don't learn how to forgive, we'll just follow our offenses all around. And, and it's real hard to follow Jesus when we're following all these other things. We can follow our hurt. We can follow our pain. We can, we can follow fame. Right? I just want to be famous. I, know, I need to figure out how I'm going to make it. One day, like, you get to choose what you're going to follow. And Jesus says, if you want to find happiness, right, if you want fulfillment, if you want to feel whole and happy, and follow me. That other stuff you can have. It's, it's okay if you have money. But don't let that be the thing you're following. Come follow me. 
Let me fill in the blanks. So we'll end with, uh, we'll read verse 13 again. Because I didn't explain it the first time I read it. But go ye and learn. Remember, this is Jesus still talking as he ended this. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have, or a better translation of that sentence is, I desire. If you go look it up. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. To repentance or to change their mind. The word mercy used here is Greek. It's a Greek word, elkos. There are five different words just in the New Testament for mercy. But this one that Jesus chose to use here, it means compassion. It's sympathy with action. It's you looking at a situation and feeling bad about it and then doing something to help it. Right? You know, you can watch a commercial about starving children somewhere and you can, like, you can have sympathy you can feel bad about that. And then when the commercial goes off, you start watching the football game again and forget all about it. That's just sympathy. You took no action to help to make it different. Compassion is sympathy with action. That's what we're called to have as Christians. It's, it's yeah, we have sympathy. We see the hurt and pain in someone else's life. Now, what action can I take to help alleviate their pain? to feed them, to clothe them, to, to show them love or acceptance or care, whatever it is. That's what real compassion is, a sympathy with action. So what Jesus was saying there is I desire that you would feel what others feel rather than give your life to a rule-based system. Open up your life. Give the gift. Passion and generosity will be closely connected. Remember God so loved the world that he gave. You've heard it called the passion of the Christ. The the passion is because it's what Jesus was so passionate about was his purpose, his call. Well, what did the passion cause him to do? Give it all. Everything that he had. Scripture tells us that the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. But the world of the generous, it gets larger and larger and larger. i read you Romans 12, 14 and 16 and we're done. Last scripture. Two verses. Bless your enemies. Whoa, hold up. Bless your enemies. Enemies. I bless people that are good to me. Bless people that agree with me. Bless people that bless me. Cool. We're commanded to bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. 
Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. In other words, that's not what you're supposed to be following. I'm going to make things right and get even. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. I'm just going to look good. Look for the good in everybody. It's there. I'm not going to look for the sickness in you. I know people are sick, and so am I. But I've made a decision to look for and focus on the good in people. I have sickness in me. But the times in my life when I feel whole, times in my life when I feel healed and complete and free, are when I choose to follow the great physician. Right there when I'm in step with him, when I'm following behind him. If I stay out of his presence for a while and stop following It's then that I am reminded of my sickness. And I began to follow other things. But as long as I follow Him, I'm whole and free and healed and able to give and love and serve and be who I'm called to be. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thanks for speaking to our hearts and our minds. God, give us compassion for whatever people group it is that we have a hard time having compassion for. Probably different for different ones of us. But God, you called all kinds of people to follow you, to be in your crew, part of your group, part of your plan. God, thanks for checking us when we get a little bit out of line. Thanks for ultimately loving us and giving us grace and mercy to grow and to keep moving forward. Today we hear the call. If there's any areas in our life where we're not following you, where we're just sitting in our tax collector's booth, following our sickness round and around in circles, Today we repent. We ask you to help us to change direction, to change our mind, to follow after you, to love you and to love people well. God, we love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.